Hey, it's Jim. Thanks for downloading the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. I want to talk to you just very quickly before we begin the show in earnest, but as you know, we do the show across the Pacific Rim. I'm in Seattle, Fumi's in Tokyo, and we do it literally uh, over the internet like many shows. Well, we had a few technical issues with this show. I apologize for that. I did the best I could given, given the circumstances, so stick with the show if you can. If you can't, I understand, but I promise we'll figure this out and we'll have a crystal clear show and get Give away some t-shirts so be sure to uh, like and subscribe five-star review with uh, some nice things to stay on itunes or retweet the show and uh we'll make it happen and uh, give away those t-shirts so i apologize that i couldn't do the show better it's just an internet connection fooby's gonna try to get a, a new internet modem and we'll try to avoid these problems in the future but i just want to let you know i'm really sorry and we'll make it better in the future so either way some good stuff on this episode and enjoy the pacific rim pro wrestling podcast Podcast. It's the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast, the podcast that takes you from Seattle to Tokyo at all points throughout history. My name is Jim Valley, longtime broadcaster and wrestling fan living in the Seattle area. And we take you across the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Ocean to Tokyo, Japan. And Japan's leading wrestling journalist, historian, author, and uh, all-around good guy, my friend Fumi Saito. Hello from Tokyo. How are you? <laughs> so, uh, it's been busy in Japan with, uh, with a number of shows. Uh, you went to the, the Takayama show. Yeah, uh, this past, this last Friday night, Takayamania Empire. It's a very first show, but the, 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 they'll be running regular benefit show for Takayama with all kinds of people. So for those, show. for those who may have forgotten, what, uh, what happened to Takayama? Yeah, Takayama, um, back in... Um, May of last year, he um, broke his neck basically he, uh, doing sunset flip during the DDT show, and uh, he basically broke his neck and broke his spine, spinal injury. Injury, and he's been in hospital and rehabbing, and uh, yeah, um, that uh, it's already been year and three months, four months now. But uh, for the first time, uh, for the public in the purpose that the, he sent out his uh, video messages uh, to the fans and his co you know worker wrestling friends all these people that the, he he is going to stand up and come back to wrestling one day you know and uh, now people hasn't forgot about him and uh, um, it only shows that the, how influential and great person Takayama was uh, watching um, how people gather and all these guys, you know, Minoru Suzuki and all these wrestlers, or even Akira Maeda shows up. All, all, all these guys care about Takayama and gather and work the show for free, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting show because I couldn't count how many wrestling companies that has participated on a, a Takayama show. This is like a real interesting card, like, you know, um, the lineup was interesting because 10, 15, you know, wrestling company helped to put this show together. Then you have interesting, you know, people like, you know, Noah Sugiura and Meiko Satomura making a tag team for the first time. It's like, oh my gosh, right? Um, tag team with, you know, Akiyama, Jun Akiyama and Dick Togo or something. Or very UWF like Sano and Fuke tag team going against people like Marufuji and uh, Nagata Tenzan of New Japan worked. Suwama, you know, Ishikawa, the old, old, like quite a few guys from all Japan worked. Minoru Suzuki handled all the bookings and uh, uh, yeah, it was very interesting. It is a no boundary show, you know what I'm saying? New Japan, all Japan, pro wrestling, nowhere, and all the freelancers. Uh, actually, it's, it's, all the big company helped. Uh, all the company Takayama had worked before, you know, so uh, it was very interesting, like a wrestling camaraderie and friendships. You can feel, you know, that uh, the feelings, you know, and uh, it was very interesting. And, uh, and and the benefits show, so people donate things and the money, and uh, you know they were selling, you know, all new you know, new Takayama dolls. 
and a new t-shirt and other things for his benefit and uh right um that was a very interesting show you know it's really he cool that when wrestling can do that when they can cross boundaries like that and uh, do come yeah. together for, for, for a friend who yeah. is hurt yeah yeah and the wrestling people are very good at that you know people who's sick who had cancer injured or the serious injury like this one that the people um the wrestlers are friends and uh, you know professional wrestling is an in, in, in entertainment and yet it's a sport the sportsmanship is there friendship is there and also you know you, you don't hurt people you know you protect each other but it shit happens and when some accident happens that they're therefore you know they're there for you that kind of thing you know yeah uh, hey, real so quick, that was a very interesting show. Hey, real quick, yeah. Ruby, uh, I want to—you're still breaking up a little bit. I'm trying to figure out what the uh, where where are you standing? Oh wow! Okay, okay. You're still. I'll be going all the way to my my. Okay, How about sorry. this? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It just—it sounds a little scratchy. It sounds a little—I uh, don't know. Just, just there's some interference there. It's not as good as okay. it usually is. Oh wow. Can we do do over? Go well, over? I can use I mean, probably what we have, but just I wanted to see if we could fix it right now. It's, all right, okay, this is what you're going to cut. Okay, let's start. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very good show. Yeah, yeah, no, we're fine right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can feel that see, Takayama wasn't there. He couldn't come up. See, when Hayabusa got hurt, you know, it took him a year and a half to make public, you know, appearance for the first time. Of course, on the wheelchair. But Hayabusa had his mask on and everything, and he was ready to come out in public. And Takayama is not quite not there yet. You know, he's in rehab. But uh, when he comes back, he won't be wrestling, but uh, he will dye his hair blonde again, and then he'll be on a wheelchair, but he'll come out uh, in front of people with good spirit. And, uh, yeah, that day will come, you know, and... Uh, Right. Yeah, until that day, or oh, more after that too, but uh, they will be running this Takayama Benefits show you know, on a regular basis. You know, medical bill will be very, very high on uh, conditions like you know, he is in. And, how, does, uh, yeah. how does insurance but, work in Japan? Is it similar to the United States? Do you guys have a, a one-payer system, or how does that, how does that work? What? Is, it, is insurance like uh, employers, the, or...? Well, wrestlers have to have your own medical insurance. And a lot of times, you know, insurance or even life insurance don't even want to cover wrestlers because more likely than not, you will get hurt. Not like serious injury like this, but uh, um, if you have strong medical coverage, wrestlers will be using it. You know know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard for professional wrestlers to sign good insurance. And I have no idea what kind of insurance he was under. And plus he was his own employee. He's self-employed. So it was different from other people. You know, if you work in New Japan, everything under there, you know, salary, the bonus, the benefit, the medical bill, the, you know, all, all the things are under very big company structure. Uh, other than the, the, the Takayama show, there was uh, Marafuji. The night after that, yeah. Yeah. The Sumo Palace, Pro Wrestling Knowledge Show, um, Marufuji's 20th year anniversary in business. And it was very first um, Pro Wrestling Knowledge small palace show in let's say in over three or four years i guess they haven't run big show you know lately and uh, this small palace small hall show was uh uh yeah very special attempt for them you know and they brought hideo itami from wwe you know kenta you know yeah uh, yeah. yeah i saw Mara pictures Fuji. i saw pictures of uh of uh, Kenta Hideo Tommy and uh, Kenta Kobashi, and it uh, looked like his Twitter was was pretty active. It looked like 
I don't. I mean, I I don't know him, but he seemed really happy to be back in Japan. To be back, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then also now that he's WWE superstar Hideo Itami, is now that the, hey, can I get a picture taken with you? All the wrestlers want to take a picture with Kenta, and it was a very interesting thing, you know. Really? And uh, yeah, yeah, because it's a different identity, and uh, it's like a baseball player that went off to Major League Baseball and uh, came, you know, came home for home for a week and. Uh, Oh, of course, to have a match, but uh, people look at him differently now, you know. A little bit, it was the same guy, you know, but, uh, hey, you know, how things and, you know, how's living in America and all those things. And there's a good feeling about him, you know, to have him back, you know. Somebody who left, you know what I'm saying? Right. Now, he's yeah. had his struggles, injuries, you know, not. Yeah, yeah. Not the guy who's had the highest on the card. Yes. Um, yeah, not as good as Shinsuke Nakamura's status or anything like right, that. Right, or, or Kerry Sane even, or who knows ever. Yeah, right, and Io uh, from now on, right? And uh, yeah, but uh, Kenta, it looks like he was like, having a you know, great time back home. And he had a great attitude going back to America too, you know? And uh, it was good for all of them, you know? And uh, actually, Kenta, well, now it's Hideo Itami, but the Kenta against Maruhuji was there favorite golden card that every time they have single match they would come up with something very special and uh, they complement each other uh, very similar in size similar in style and background and also misawa student you know from er 2000 yeah they were like you know like almost like a twins that twin wrestlers that who you know choose different path you know what i'm saying and somewhere down, down the line, yes, these friends will meet again, you know. And uh, very, very good, you know, story. Did you uh, did you hear about the match? Was it? Did you hear good things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the good things. And also, yeah, I guess it all depends on how you count the, you know, audience crowd. But they honestly announced the crowd as six six thousand five hundred something. See, when they pack up small palace they just go ahead and announce ten thousand people right right but for some reason they announced it like a you know six thousand thousand five hundred thirty eight people are here tonight so, so it must be real for you but the place looked pretty filled you know and uh yeah it was interesting is that is that a good sign or is that just for a special show that's what they could do it's not necessarily a sign of things to come uh, but they have to make this show a turning point or the tur- turnaround. And then, uh, yeah, if you are a serious promoter, you know, you have to use it, you know, not an individual show. But uh, this is a sign of progressing nor making big comeback or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's we can only... That way, you know? We can we, yeah. we could we could only hope. Hey, there was something else. Yeah. Um, there uh, was a WWE card in in Osaka on August thirty first. Oh Rob yeah, Brand. Yeah, yeah. They had Ronda and, Rousey. Ronda Rousey were there, and all three Shield. You know, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins. You know, and then all the the, the opponents are there: the Braun Strowman, the Dolph Ziggler, the. Baron Corbin, uh, Drew McIntyre. So they brought in good, um, strong Monday Night Raw lineup. Yeah. You know, um, there was a picture of uh, some of the cosplayers from Osaka, and did did yeah. you see the picture? There was a bunch of them, and of course, there's a there's a Ronda Rousey, and and yeah. of course, you know, there's they're doing Alexa Bliss. Yeah, there's there's Alexa Bliss, and there's Shinsuke Nakamura. Did you see the? Oh, person? Yeah, quite a few. Did you see the Great Moolah cosplay? Who? Great Moolah, the fabulous Moolah. I, I didn't see that one. Oh my gosh! I'll <laughs> have to play. I'll have Cosplay? to send it to you. It was amazing. Who wants to be Fabulous Muda? Oh my god, it was amazing. <laughs> this person had a oh, wig okay. on and had the you know the like the the the, the sequined sort of shirt jacket Mula always wore to the ring. Sure, sure. And to top it off, the uh, the pantyhose, the sheer shiny pantyhose that Mula used to always wear. Just yeah, yeah. I mean. 
the best because I mean you're used to seeing the modern stars or the rock or or sure. whomever but I've never seen anybody cosplay as Mula and it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life the greatest well, probably like you know trying to be like old Godzilla or something you know and oh my god it was so like, genius Charles, Charlie Chaplin something it's so it's genius so oh, so I'm genius I'm gonna look into it because it is a, a web page who shows all the cosplays, you know, and uh, yeah, I did not see that one. Oh my gosh, yeah, I'll find you the picture. I'll see if I if I saved it, and I'll, I'll send it to you. But yes, the moolah was so right on. It was so funny. It was the best. Speaking of yeah. being on Twitter and social media, you got some coverage. Uh, Samu from the, the Wild Samoan family, ah. he, was, he was in town. Yeah, for Wrestling Masters show, just a couple weeks ago, there was a... Um, Basically, Wrestle One, Keiji Muto's show, but uh, he put together a wrestling master's show with people like uh, Heisei Ishingun, you know, the Koshinaka, Great Kabuki, you know, Kobayashi, the Nogami, the Dark Group, and also he brought back Hiroshi Hase for one show, Samu, of course. Um, yeah, um, there's all wrestling masters, like all over 50 or something. Well, I, uh, I should say, 90s superstars, you know, for one night. And the audience was a little older, and uh, they enjoyed 90s wrestling with, with the same people, just 20 years older or something. But uh, it was a good show, you know. It doesn't have to be your latest New Japan show, you know. That uh, Some wrestling fans, older wrestling fans, really enjoy coming to these kind of shows, you know. Wrestling Masters at Korakuen. Oh, Fuji, like people like Fujinami worked. Uh, so how long? How long have you known uh, Samu? Oh, since like '83, four. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. And also, he had regular New Japan tours. First few years, few years, he was um, Hulk Hogan's regular tag team partner, and also uh, Sakaguchi, then Booker. You know, um, Seiji Sakaguchi, then New Japan Booker. He liked Samu and Kokina a lot, so. They were brought back for regular tour for like, uh, like five, six, seven tours a year for like a bunch of years, late eighties into nineties, when Kokina was not Yokozuna yet, you know. Right. <laughs> and I'm... also, yeah, Ricky Choshu really liked Samu and Kokina, and that uh, your local house shows during the tour. Almost every night, Ricky Choshu and Masa Saito against Samu and Kokina. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, while Samu, Samu and Yokozuna to be them. That, that they have the great spot, you know, the, and uh, Ricky Choshu body slamming Kokina every night pretty much. So it's like I liked them, you know. And then uh, Samu was saying the same thing that the, when you get a, you know, when you take a big, huge bump, uh, off of Sakaguchi's high knee and uh, when you take big bump off of Ricky Choshu's clothesline lariat or get body slammed by Choshu like, see you next door kind of thing it's like, uh, they are being brought back you keep and, the boss uh, happy I guess but the, the, the smooth fun worker and Ricky Choshu himself was calling those two uh, country Elvis you know, not a urban Tokyo Osaka superstar, but when you go to countryside house shows during the week, they are the star of the show. Like, a, you know, countryside Elvis is what they're saying. That's a great you term. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's like they enjoyed it, you know, and then also I'm sure that they were easy to work with for such a big guys. Yeah, I always and, call myself uh, Small Town Jim, but yeah, I'm a countryside Elvis. I think that's my personality. Elvis, huh? Yeah, I don't play in okay, the cities, okay. but man, I kill okay. in the sticks. I kill in the sticks. Yeah, but the, those those crowd love them, right? You know? uh, unconditionally, so no big in the logic or anything. You know, just watch what you're watching and enjoy it. You know, right? But the wrestling should be, I guess. You know, sometimes. Let me ask you this. Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, Kokina, uh, Rodney yeah. Onawai, and uh, yeah. he was he was Yokozuna, and as you know, and everyone knows, he wasn't right. Japanese. Right. What was the what was the reaction to the Yokozuna character in Japan? Uh, he was okay. Um, it's like a, you mean a derogatory to, to small wrestling. Yeah, derogatory to small. Yeah, was it? You know? No, they didn't. 
Japanese audience didn't really look at it that way. It's like, oh, wow, they're doing this. Wow. It's like they knew it was Kokina, but the, right, Kokina ended up being sumo champion. Yokozuna is a term for grand champion. It's a real word. Right. Uh, we know that the Japanese you know, term. And uh, not to be racist, but uh, Yokozuna Kokina looks just like our Konishiki in real small wrestling. Yeah, exactly. I think a, fact, lot of peop- a lot of people, one time I was in line for a show where he was on, yeah. and some of the fans in front of me thought that that's who he was. Oh, that was like a real Konishiki? Yes, they thought that he was the real <laughs> sumo, and they thought that that's so, who he was. Uh, yeah, he looks like it. Yeah. He looks like, you know, just as big as, you know, just every bit as big. And uh, as a matter of fact, Kokina in Japan got blessing from Konishiki. And actually, Konishiki was the one who gave, pitched him idea. Why don't you be a small wrestler in WWF ring? That would not be good. Can we do that? Can we do that? And at the end of the tour, Konishiki and his people brought in kimono and the actual yukata and all the, uh, the oil for your hair and all those things, you know, was given to Kokina. You know, a real, you know, what do you call that? Mawashi, we call it, but uh, you think it was fun, but uh, it's not, it's like costume can be very difficult in America. You had to have another spandex over it, you know, then have some more thing. Yeah. Because it's, uh, yeah, but uh, not to show a bare ass, right? Right. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're working a long match versus, you know, a relatively short sumo match. Right, right. But uh, he wanted to dress just like real sumo wrestlers. So you had to come up with softer, you know, that uh, actual, you know, spandex and outfit and, you know, and the material. But uh, looked as good as it can look, though, you know? I had always and, heard there was heat there because they used the Yokozuna term and he... assumption. No, I live in Japan. There was no heat. I believe you. People wanted to wanted to come up with something like that. Oh, that was such a disgrace. People in Japan got so mad at it. No, Japanese fan never made fuss about that. And uh, also, this is the character in WWE ring, ring. And you are not supposed to, you know, be offended. You know, if you are offended by WWE character, you will be offended by a lot of different things. <laughs> no kidding, you know? right? Yeah, so it wasn't like that, though, seriously. Uh, as a record, there, I don't think there were many people who were actually angry about, you know, the, the small character being mocked or parody, you know, made the parodies. It was more of a, wow, that, I knew sooner or later WWE will come up with something like this. And it was success, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it beat Bret Hart for title. And, you know, there was a title match program against Hulk Hogan, and he was superstar, you know. Yeah, I don't think he was a a tremendous draw, but nothing in that era was really drawing. I think he did well for the era. Oh, yeah, Dark Age almost. 93, 94, 94, 95. Oh, but he was a star, you know, among that, you know. absolutely. And still Hulk Hogan was there, Bret Hart becoming a star, and Undertaker was already there. And it was actually, when you look back, 94 WWE was pretty strong crew. It just business wasn't great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was a transition. I think people wanted to move from sort of the the kitty stuff, the Hulk Hogan, the everybody has like a job wrestlers into into the more attitude. I think the the fans had grown yeah, up then, and they then, wanted then, a grown up product. Following year, following year, you know Hulk Hogan actually left and joined WWE. Then you know two years later, NWO. So uh, Monday Night Raw had to change somewhat too, you know. So there was a transitional era, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then also, you know, Yokozuna himself did not last that long, you know, because of health, you know, you know, reason. Uh, yeah. Well, but it was okay. We do have a bunch of questions for hashtag. Yeah, well, Samu, Samu was very happy to be back, you know. Yeah, it looked yeah. like you guys had a good time. That was cool. And I saw a lot of people share share your pictures. As a matter of fact, someone shared one of the pictures before you and I even talked about it because I saw a picture of uh, okay. Samu oh, at uh, Killer Khan's restaurant. You took him to the... Yeah, he wanted to go. You know, no, I was surprised. Did you want to see... Uh, actually, 
Afa and Shika, you know, Afa is Samu's father. In the original Wild Samoans, Afa and Shika drove with Killer Khan all those years. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they shared ride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like a dad's friend, you know? Yeah, almost like, a, almost. yeah, I get, I get that. I mean, the, the funny part is I remember when the Wild Samoans in 79, 80, uh, a lot of times yeah. the Madison Square Garden cards were first being broadcast then on the USA Network, you know, very fledgling. Yeah, right, right, right. MSG, MSG cable back then, too. Yeah, and uh, Samu would be Samoan number three because they'd have... Sometimes yeah, the like Samoans were off in Sika. He was 19. Oh, was that how? He was 19. No. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember he was always because sometimes the Samoans during the announcements for Madison Square Garden would be off in Sika, yeah. and other times they'd be Samoan number one and Samoan number two, particularly in singles matches. They would be, you know, Pedro Morales versus Samoan number two. And then they brought in uh, Samu, and he was oftentimes Samoan number three. So yeah. uh, before we move on to the questions, I guess I want to briefly just touch on the, the big surprise from the all-in card over the weekend oh, was yeah. uh, your Jericho. friend Chris Jericho. <laughs> yeah. That guy's yeah. amazing. And, How, just, just incredible. Yeah, it... it it, it, it was actually better than being on the card. Yes. You know, so, you know, so there was a card that the, the lineup of Omega against Pentagon, that the, the, the first matchup, it is a good match too. But uh, right after that, he dressed up as a Pentagon junior and did that act. And uh, yeah, it was bigger than the match, right? Yeah, and, everyone uh, was talking about it. It's right up there with the with the NWA title win. It was a, it was a big deal. I mean, I mean this in the in a in as complimentary way as I can say it. But just what an amazing worker. I mean, there are so few surprises in wrestling, and Jericho is so good at providing those surprises and staying one step ahead of everyone. It's, I guess you yeah. know, I, I, you know, it's it's very impressive the 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 thought that he puts into it and the care to not be seen and not uh, to get the word out that people expected no, it. No, not at all. Just, just, just impressive. I mean, his his psychology and his attention to detail is on another level. I think. And very calculated. Yeah. He knew he could fly out of Chicago and flew small plane down to Kansas City and had Fuzzy concert two hours later. You know? And he left the makeup on. Genius. He knew. Yeah. And that very footage will be on social media maybe two minutes later. Oh, it was. Somebody will be yeah, somebody will be taping it off of your iPhone and uh, you know they'll be the first to up, you know upload your actual footage from two minutes ago onto your social media and everybody will be watching. So it's like you almost don't need television now. Yeah. It's the, the, yeah. Social media became a lot stronger tools, and uh, he's Jericho is the one who's you know using it in the most effective way, huh? And, uh, yeah, it's, very interesting. No, it's it's legendary. I think people will look back, and he he has great matches. Don't misunderstand me, but I think his legacy, even more than the matches, which in some ways is more important than matches, is just that he was able to entertain the fans by all of these surprises. And I think it's going to be his legacy of how well he was able to to kayfabe everybody in a good way. And also in more professional, you know, term or ways to, you know, is that he will stay relevant. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. He will be, what, the 48, <laughs> you know, but uh, he's, he knows he's not in shape to wrestle 200 matches a year, but, and also Fozzie, his baby rock band becoming a real band internationally. And that's very important to him at this at this stage of his game. But at the same time, he does not leave wrestling, that he'll stay relevant and do the most effective things. And he will have much or two a year, you know? Impressive. Yeah. And also, as he left the ring, you know, last night, he's like, Kenny Omega, see you at Jericho Cruz. 
So people who wants to watch and you know, who wants to follow this will have to join the <laughs> Chris Jericho cruise. Just you know? genius. Just yeah. genius. I mean, so smart. You know, if, if Chris Jericho does another cruise, he should seriously consider bringing you on and you guys could do a, a Q&A or something for fans. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's what you're Yeah, have. well, I, I really want to actually, like, when the time is right, I will like, you know, I would like to go on his cruise and spend the week on, on ocean. Yeah. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah, you should. No, you very can, much so. I think, uh, I think you doing a Q and a would, would provide a lot of value. You could, you could, I think, yeah. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be great. So maybe, maybe if he, if this one is a success, maybe for, for the Chris Jericho cruise too, if there is one that, uh, that he could do that. That'd be awesome. Yeah, because he uh, he copied his idea from the Kiss. Remember? Oh yeah, I've got a friend. You know, I do the Cauliflower Alley podcast, and uh, MK yeah. Matthew Robles, he's a okay. huge Kiss fan, and he's been on the Kiss cruise a couple of times. Really? Yeah. Okay, so I'm sure that if the first one was success, he will be doing this crew. It may not be from Cuba to New York or anything, but it could be in different places or take place in Hawaii, anything like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, you can go very all over. I mean, cruises go everywhere now. They're they're very they're very accessible to people. Yeah, it's kind of like, a, remember if you remember the old show Love Boat? I watched it tonight. <laughs> Oh, you did? Yeah, we it's have not the same way, is it? It's no, it's it's reruns. It's all old reruns. Sometimes it's fun to just watch the old episodes. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> like a love boat, huh? Yeah, yeah, just like exciting and new. That's what Chris yeah, Jericho is so. exciting and new. <laughs> Well, that let's, amazing, huh? I yeah. do want to mention uh, we will do uh, we'll do the drawing for our two T-shirts that we uh, that we have. Sure. Uh, they're just uh, they're, they're, I think they're extra large, so that's just what they are. I don't have any choices, unfortunately. But if you go to uh, iTunes and give us a good review and uh, five stars, or if you don't have uh, Apple products, just go ahead and uh, retweet. Uh, the link to the show, and uh, we'll we'll draw from people who who did the, one of those two things here. We'll do it uh, b- by our next show. How about that? And we'll give the the t-shirts okay, away. Okay. But I appreciate everybody and all of their engagement and all your help in in trying to get the the word out on the show. So thank you for that. It's been fun watching it grow, particularly in the in the last few months. Great. And also, I've I realized a little bit that. See, our listeners, regular listeners, were a little bit older generation, I thought. But uh, la- recently, we do have younger audience who is like uh, learning about pro wrestling in Japan and the history and uh, relationship between professional wrestling and MMA. See, if you just watched MMA or UFC last four or five years, you don't see any relationship. But only one one case besides Brock Lesnar. But there was a, a lot of cross over, over between MMA and professional wrestling historically. Not just long history, but right when UFC started, people like Ken Shamrock was there, you know? And a lot of professional wrestlers from Japan were there. And uh, Pride and K1, a lot of professionals went in there. And it really change the face of professional wrestling as well and we can always uh, go over this history and if we learn history we get more out of it today too and why Brock Lesnar is so special we can find the answer too well that. let's do let's do some questions you kind of uh, got us into one of them if you do a hashtag ask Fumi uh, tweet me and Fumi at uh, Jim Valley and uh, Fumi Hiko Dayo. That's F U M I H I K O D A Y O. Tweet us and do the you. hashtag Ask Fumi because it's easier to find the questions for for me to do that. So okay. be sure to put the yeah, hashtag. Because I wanted to ask um, Fumi. know that uh, this see Brock Lesnar finally losing Universal Title, huh? And uh, finally Roman Reigns the guy. That's fine. But the night after that, you know, the, the SummerSlam. Paul Heyman was still on the show and saying, uh, tried to claim that the former champions return match clause thing. So the Brock Lesnar uh, technically left the show, but uh, his shadow, his you know, he, you can all, they're still mentioning his name is what I'm what they're doing, and Brock Lesnar will have a UFC fight in January of next year, but he will be back in WWE ring too. And he's the only one going back and forth, back and forth with UFC and WWE, professional wrestling and MMA. You know, people look at it two different sports. Yes, of course, it's two different sports. 
but there are you know, areas that professional wrestler can be um, UFC star at the same time. UFC star can be professional wrestling superstar like Ronda Rousey. And there was one wrestler who is ridiculously overlooked um, in this you know, category that, that is Ken Wayne Shamrock. And we have a question about that. Uh, someone wants yeah. to know. He was wondering about uh, someone's writing a new biography on him this year. If Fumi could talk ah. about uh, Ken Wayne Shamrock and Fumi's memories of uh, Shamrock in Japan, starting in All Japan in 89, as well as UWF, uh, PWFG, yeah. and uh, Pancrase. So uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. He's, you know, he really is, is overlooked. I mean, he was, he was a top oh, level so fighter. Ridiculously he was overlooked. a, he was a top level wrestler. Uh, um, you know, he was, he really is overlooked. Yeah, and what he had done, and also, the, remember the way he was brought in to WWE? Was it 97 or 98? 97-ish. 97, yeah, yeah. How he was brought in, he was not treated as professional wrestler. Of course, he was a professional wrestler, but he was treated some some star, a star from UFC, and that's how he was brought in. And probably the minute he bounced, started bouncing off the ropes, they kind of killed the, you know, MMA aura a little bit, you know. But uh, still, the influence, you know, influence in those that, uh, I guess he was one of the most important figure in profession, both professional wrestling and MMA in late 90s into 2000. And... Uh, I remember seeing him. Yeah. I remember seeing him when uh, George Scott did South Atlantic Pro Wrestling, and it was briefly on cable. And he was uh, uh, he was uh, Mr. Wrestling Vince Torelli, and Vince he fought uh, Chris Chavis yep. Tatanka. Sure, he was a rookie then. Yeah, ninety three, ninety four. I, I I want to say it was it was uh, later. I want to say it was like late eighties. I want to say it was like late eighties, right? Okay, because first he attended Bud Sawyer Wrestling School of all things, you know, in Sacramento, California. Oh wow! Yeah, it has to be it has to be late eighties then. Then he went to Nelson Royal Wrestling School again, in down in South Carolina. This is see for some people, you know, they don't know how to get in the wrestling business. You know, going to wrestling school is one thing, but you pay and learn a little bit, but they won't book you to someplace. So obviously, Bud Sawyer didn't, you know? And uh, he, for some reason, he moved to South Carolina and went, went to wrestling school again, um, Nelson Royal School. Like you said, Vince Tolari with white trunks and white shoes. It, that, that didn't work. And Masami Soranaka, Oh, there's another person who wanted to know about Masami Soranaka. We'll, we'll do the future uh, answer question on Masami Soranaka. Masami Soranaka is a son-in-law of Carl Gotch. He married to Carl Gotch's daughter, Jenny. Okay? Masami Soranaka. He was a re wrestler and also was a referee for New Japan, referee for original UWF, and was always with Gotch. And he was, you know, the, the, yeah, he was one of the shoot trainer too. Masami Soranaka brought Ken Shamrock into um, Malenko school uh, in 92 or 93 to make him into UWF wrestler. That was his initiation or introduction to more of MMA style, submission style, or the shoot aspect of professional wrestling. Does that make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, that the King Shamrock was wrestling name, so they uh, used his their middle name as uh, the middle name is Wayne. So Wayne Shamrock was the, his UWF name, and he started making regular appearance for second UWF. You know, and then six months later, um, the second version of UWF broke off into three different groups. You know, as, as you know, Akira Maeda's rings. Um, professional wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, like you just said, PWFG, right? And also UWFI, you say, U UWF International, Nobuhiko Takada and his friends. So U original UWF broke up to three different groups. Um, 
Ken Shamrock went into Fujiwara's group because of the connection with Masami Soranaka and that Malenko School in Florida. And the original professional wrestling Fujiwara group, his member was Fuji, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, um, um, Funaki, you know, Masakatsu Funaki, Minoru Suzuki, Takaku Fuke, and Ken Shamrock, and, and later on, Yuki Ishikawa. So, strong, pretty strong group, huh? You know, as a as a submission wrestler, and uh, connection with Marenko School, they brought in a lot of Florida guys too, like um, late. Um, uh, I'm sorry, what's um, Yoshikuan's brother? Oh, Yoshikuan uh, just died. Yeah, Chris Champion and Mark Starr. Yeah, Mark, they brought him. See, Mark Starr. When you look at Mark Starr, it's just the underneath guy in wrestling, right? But actually, after being trained at Malenko School, he was able to do UWF style. He only did that in Japan. But uh, there were quite a few wrestlers like that. Jerry Flynn, the Bart Bell, the um, Jumbo Breda, the, see, a lot of Florida local wrestlers who was trained at the Malenko School, regular professional, American-style professional wrestling, but they were retrained by Soranaka. It's more like a, we do this session for three months. You learn the style, you go to Japan and do this. And there were quite a few Florida wrestlers who kind of, uh, you know, erased what they were doing in America and going to UWF Fujiwara Gumi Ring and do their style. And uh, it was a very interesting era. And Ken Shamrock stood out. I mean, he was like, a, wow. He, this guy is very, very special. So when um, Minoru Suzuki and um, Masakatsu Funaki left Fujiwaragumi to form their new Pancras, now it's Toro MMA, but Pancras, Ken Shamrock joined this group. Then at the same, it was 93 or 4, so it was the beginning of UFC, original UFC, like, you know, Hoist Gracie and them. Ken Shamrock against Hoist Gracie, they did about three times, right? That was the top, you know, million-dollar card for very uh, beginning of UFC, if you remember. Right. Yeah, if there was just Gracie's, UFC wouldn't get, you know, wouldn't be, you know, that famous. There was an American good-looking fighter in Ken Shamrock who was a star of the show in the very beginning. You know, they don't look in America. Do you look at Ken Shamrock as a professional wrestler? It's more like he's an MMA fighter, right? Cool guy. Yeah, I think I think you know, certainly people remember him as a wrestler, but I think he's mainly thought of as a as a, as a mixed martial artist. Uh, yeah, MMA guy, and then he went into a few movies as that too. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like a B movie. It's but uh, oh, wow, Shamrock's on the movie. It's like he dressed up like you know, Pancras fighter, and he does that. And uh, and there was a chance that he could become uh, your, I don't know, um, Steven Segar or you know, Jean Claude Van Damme type star in movies too. You know, if done right. And uh, but uh, so he worked for. Pancras and also a different group, Valitudo group. Um, um, some there's quite a few independent MMA show run in Japan, and Ken Shamok was always the first one to sign these. And he had worked for five, six different MMA companies in Japan after that. And uh, yeah, I think he wants to make one more comeback. Yeah, he I don't know if that's born. possible, but you never know. Yeah, I don't know either, but he wants to. You know, he did fight, uh, have a fight up until a couple of years ago. So he was born in 1964, so he's got to be 54 now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of old to have, um, you know, MMA match. But, uh, you know, fighter's mentality, you know, I have one more match in, in me. You know, always think, I have one more match in me. So uh, I don't think he's going to retire until he really has another match. Right. Maybe, you know. Where where are you standing right now, by the way? Can you hear me now? No? It's it's really kind of, there's a lot of popping happening. I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, it doesn't sound clean. I can understand you, but there's some interference. 
Oh no! Last five minutes or so. Yeah, where have you been? Did you move? No, I've, I've been walking around the hallway. Okay, yeah, it's kind of back breaking forth, up. I don't forth. know. Sorry about that. So no, you okay. should me. It happens. It happens. Can well, it's hard. This? There we go. That's much better. Okay, I'm gonna talk loud. I don't know, but I don't know what. Um. So yes. what about you mentioned you mentioned Ken Shamrock. You yeah. mentioned Ken Shamrock as a, as a mixed martial artist. What about his uh, pro wrestling in Japan? Um, he is recognized as a professional wrestler, but more like a UWF family. You know, Akira Maeda or Nobuhiko Takada, Masakatsu Funaki, or today's uh, Minoru Suzuki. They're all professional wrestlers, but it was more like a professional wrestler with MMA taste that that uh, they can lean on towards either way, you know, somebody you can believe in as a tough guy. You know what I'm saying? How, uh, we have that in Japan. How popular it was or is Ken Shamrock with, with, with Japanese fans? How big of a star? What did they like uh, about him? Actually, he was uh, original founding member of Pancras, and he was the very first King of Pancras champion, you know, like a heavyweight champion they created, and beat both both uh, Funaki and um, Minoru Suzuki. So he was put over above those two very at the beginning. And we believed him. He is here to stay, you know. I didn't think he was going to sign with WWE. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But something happened between him and... Um, Pancras and company and uh, there was a management that uh, after he became popular as an MMA star after UFC fight against Hoist Gracie there were a group of people or more like a network people start whispering things on, in his ears in America you can be this and you can be that you can be making a whole lot of money than this and how much money you make in Japan oh I can make you more money here than this movies UFC this and ended up in WWE but uh, with no management but uh, I believe there were a lot of people new people new friends who whispered a lot of things in, in Shamrock's ear and confused him at the time does it make, make any sense? yeah that makes sense you know that's not yeah. unusual in, in the game right it's very yeah. common. So yeah, it happened to uh, but uh, what's the boss? Boss, another kickboxer from Holland who moved to America. That happened to him too. Uh, what do you think would have been the better career move for 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 Shamrock? WWE. Just what do you think would have been the better? What do you I mean? Back then, I mean, the you know, you mixed martial arts they were they were popular, but you can't make the money that you you could make in them in the past ten years or so. Um, yeah, well, the UFC is different now. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a strong, I mean, completely different sport and has their place in in the sport world. Yeah. But uh, what was best for Shamrock? Yeah. To become what's like what became a Brock Lesnar, you know, it tried to work both sports, be champion at UFC and come to uh, WWE ring and do the same and uh, be, man you know, be managed by somebody like Paul Heyman. You need Paul Heyman to create Brock Lesnar, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. In and outside the ring, both. And the wrestling is the greatest, you know, thing when you don't know if it's real or fantasy or storyline or, you know, or shoot or... See, when you look at Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar's interviews and promos, sometimes you don't know if it's real or that it's working. I even get confused, you know, because the contract that exists between Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, it's a legitimate contract. And there's a contract between... Brock Lesnar and WWE. There's another contract between Brock, um, Paul Heyman and WWE. And there's a time you have to follow Monday Night Raw story, you know, storylines. But uh, for dealing with Brock Lesnar's schedules and uh, demand, money, merch, money, those are pretty real. But they're all mixed into Monday Night Raw storyline. So sometimes... You don't know if it's all real or all storyline, you know, so, so you just can't help but suspend your disbelief.
that's when wrestling is the best, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think yeah, talking about what kind of Jericho we mentioned earlier has been really good at uh, doing that in this era. And also he's doing it without WWE's in a big influence, you know? He's free from it. I'm sure he has not completely left WWE. And he's not under contract, but he's in a position where he can pick up a phone and actually call Vince McMahon's cell phone. One of the very few, four or five people in business who could do that. But uh, Jericho can always pick up a phone and actually call Vince McMahon's cell phone today and explain what that was. And that's still good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We had a question about uh, another guy um, yeah. who went from uh, MMA and was huge in Japan and actually has roots here in the Seattle area. He went to the University of Washington and played football for a while for the for the Washington Huskies. Bob Sapp. Oh, oh Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp was never a professional wrestler actually he was a professional wrestler who was tra- being trained down in Atlanta uh, power plant he was there to become professional wrestler the reason K1 promoters discovered him was that there's another kickboxer from Holland Sam Greco was his name okay he was being trained down in Atlanta uh, at the power plant to become a professional wrestler. And a scout and promoter of K1 went to Atlanta to look for big guys. And uh, of course, Sam Greco was one of them, you know, to, he was an ex K1 fighter and wants to start MMA, was at the time was being trained to become a professional wrestler at a power plant. Um, this K1 promoter went to power plant dojo and saw Bob Sabin. You know what? We got the guy, this guy, and he was a huge, you know, um, African American ex football player, and who's actually very charming and who can talk. Do the you? He was able to do promo before he could wrestle, actually. You know, but then, then they ended up not being trained properly to become professional wrestler either. That was his little bit of um, weakness in there, I guess, that he was never really trained or never really debuted in America. That uh, so, But he still had, you know, professional, res- professional wrestling matches in Japan uh, without being really trained. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he had matches for K1, he had matches for Pride, and he was a tremendous big star and he won those fights and winning is very important in MMA and kickboxing, right? Well, it's a competitive sport, you know? But uh, he was, Bob Sapp was treated as a professional wrestling star, um, or more like a professional wrestling-like star and who had a lot of K1 and pride fight, all those MMA, you know, early 2000s, you know, zeros very dark age for Japanese pro wrestling you now because of it, you know, because more people switched from pro wrestling to MMA in general, K1, um, Pride, and a few other MMA, you know, events that, uh, you know, at the end of the century, you know, there was an interesting thing, because remember 1999, year 2000 into 2001, um, new century, right? New millennium, remember? Yeah, he was big then. That was kind of his peak. Yeah, and also people thought that at the end of this, the century, beginning of the new century, they will all find out about, you know, like a truth of all the things. Was the UFO there? Was Area 52 real? Um, Area 51, I'm sorry. Was real? Or Sai Baba from India? Was his magic real? Or the Bigfoot from, you know, from mountain, are they real? The Loch Ness Monster from, you know, the, the Lake Ness, uh, they exist. All, all those things was going to come out. And they, wrestling fans in 1999, 2000 in Japan, they wanted to find out, was wrestling real all along, or was wrestling as what they say? And the MMA came in, and, uh, you know, Nobuhiko Takada at the time, that supposedly your best guy, right? 
Right. And, yeah, she went in and lost to Hickson, Hickson Gracie twice. Both fights were like all one-sided. Wasn't Takada the best guy we had? And then uh, in Pride Ring, things didn't work that way. And a lot, a lot, a lot of wrestling fans left wrestling around that time, though. Remember? We were disappointed, of course. And uh, also at the end, end of once, you know, end of 20th century into 21st century, people expected that the, all the truth will come out. The truth that came out was that Nobuhiko Takada wasn't as tough as we let believe he was. And uh, Maeda rings. Akira Maeda had his own MMA, you know, company called Rings. Fighting Network rings from all over the world, and he was more of a producer and promoter of the rings at the end, more so than being fighter himself. And he did not have major fight. That was also a little bit of disappointment too. But uh, and also, a Pancras's um, Masakatsu Funaki had a Tokyo Dome match against Hickson Gracie too. He lost. So he said, oh my gosh, all those UWF guys and uh, shoot fighting guys who we thought was the toughest thing in the world and they're the greatest, they go in the MMA fight and just keep losing. You know what I'm saying? It really so, kind of affected wrestling, didn't it, as far as I think so. people's perception that maybe these guys aren't as tough as we thought. Then what happened in somebody else's ring, it looks real to me, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it was a very disappointing era at the time. Or people like, you know, um, professional wrestler was legitimate college wrestling champion background. People like a Yuji Nagata, you know, had a fight against people like Ferrar with, with two weeks training. It was just ridiculous. But he took the fight and went in there and got knocked out. Very... Um, dignified manner, you know, but uh, it's still hard wrestling, you know. Oh, he was IWGP champion and then Anthony Inoki told him, you know, told him to go in, in the ring and have a fight. Well, he couldn't say no, right? So Yuji Nagata went into Pride Ring and had a very short match with not, without much of preparation. That MMA thing did kill, Ken, you know, Kendo Kashin's wrestling career, don't you think? Yeah, you're right. It could have been a bigger star, like a Liger style position. Instead, Anthony Noki told him to go in the pride and have a fight. You have a background. And the wrestlers couldn't say no to Inoki. Inoki should have fought himself. <laughs> no, it couldn't. But you know what I'm saying? But uh, pro wrestling in Japan was hurt then. And that was when Bob Sapp was a huge superstar. More of a cross over superstar. He did have professional wrestling matches. He did have pride matches. He did have K you know, K1 kickboxing matches. He was on top of all those things. And also, he was a very talented comedian on, you know, on television. So, there was, um, yes, Bob Sapp era in Japan, like, all the way to like 2005-ish. Yeah. Does he still make appearances? Is he still well thought of in Japan? I mean, obviously he's... Uh, yeah, he still comes over every now and then. He became a huge TV star in Korea after that, though. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that part. Yeah, I didn't know about Korea. Korea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so he kind of worked did, uh, the same thing in Japan that he did in Korea. Yeah, so, so yeah, pretty much you know, five years later, that the uh, MMA you know, type matches, kickboxing style matches, and their version of professional wrestling you know, shows, all those things, very similar. And television show, variety show, game show, quiz show, those stupid shows, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So they, you know, he became crossover media you know, type superstar. Yeah. Very smart person, though. Well, I think this was good. I think we covered a lot of ground today. Um, okay. We'll be back uh, next time, and hopefully we'll have some uh, T-shirt winners yeah, and some exciting news. Know, somebody asked uh, Toshiaki Kawada as uh, the career, and I think he's another person who was 
ridiculously overlooked. Yeah, let's do know? that. Uh, let's do that for next time when we got a uh, little bit better yes, connection, sir. and we'll do that uh, for next time. Oh, sorry about the connection today. Yeah, it happens. What yeah, are you let's do? come back in one week, so we know that uh, let's not wait ten days, and we'll come yeah. back next week this time. Okay? I will do that. Uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Uh, Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or uh, F is uh, uh, capital letter, everything else is all case. There and we go. also Fumi Saito on Facebook. There we go. Hit uh, Ask Fumi and uh, retweet the show. <laughs> Give us a five-star rating and uh, leave us a review on iTunes and we'll enter you in for the t-shirts and we'll give those away next time. Follow me on Twitter at Jim Valley and then I'll go and see if I can fix up this show the best I can. And until next Thank time. You. So long from Tokyo. Thank you very much.